Uh, Today's passage is from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. And he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and has brought down the mighty up from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. Church may have a seat after hearing of God's word. Sorry, I'm not leaving. I just got to go get this podium. It's way over here. They went up on the wrong side. Okay, it's real heavy. Talk amongst yourselves. Got it. Whew. Morning, church. How are we doing this morning? It's good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. It's good to sing of his praises, and it's very good to hear a reading of God's word. As Zach was just pointing out, and as we just read, we read Mary's heart just pouring out after receiving the news from the angel that she will be carrying the Savior, the Messiah, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she is just Godward in her focus and her attention. So if you have your Bibles, will you grab them and open to Luke chapter 1? If you're new with us, welcome. We are thrilled that you are here with us. We are journeying through the gospel of Luke. Uh, We're going to be taking our time. We're going to be in it for probably well over a year. And so we are just still in chapter 1. We're in Mary's song. It's the first of or it's the second of many songs that we see, that we see as Luke records uh, as we work our th- way through uh, Luke's gospel. And so what are we going to see this morning? What are we going to see this morning as we look at this song that's recorded, as we look at Mary's song? Well, these two godly women, we have Mary and Elizabeth. Mary travels, remember, uh, all the way from Nazareth to Judah to meet her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, Jesus, or, and Mary is pregnant with Jesus. So we have one who is very young, and we have one who is much, much older, and they're communing together in God's providence and rejoicing. Rejoicing in what the Lord is doing in their lives. Rejoicing in what the Lord is doing in their lives. And what I want us to see this morning in Mary's song as it's recorded in 46 through 55 is how completely God-centered this song of praise is. How God-centered the song of praises. She sings about God. She sings about who he is. She sings about what he's like, about what he's done. It's all focused on God. And in response to who God is and what God has done, it's a song filled with gratitude. After Mary is thinking of all the things that the Lord has done, all the things that the Lord is doing in her, she's filled with gratitude. She's thankful for what the Lord has done. It's a song filled with trust. She believes God's promise to her. And she sees them unfolding before her very eyes. And the song is filled with praise. And that she adores God. Now, I think that as I was 
thinking on this passage and meditating on this passage, I think Mary's song that's given to us here in Luke chapter 1 actually tells us a lot about the Christian life. About the God-centeredness of the Christian life. of How you and I can live and walk in the Christian life. And how much of who God is and what he speaks to our lives. And then how we're to respond and how we're to live in light of the promises of God. And the God-centeredness of our Christian lives. So... As we look at this song today, I want to specifically and especially look at how this God-centered song that Mary gives to us, recorded here in Luke, informs how we are to live the Christian life, how we're to live this out, how we're to walk in the life that God has before us. And it seems to me that Mary's song of praise, Mary's response to this wonderful thing that's happening to her, this song of praise gives us an address, it gives us a lecture, it gives us a song on how to live the Christian life and how we are to respond as believers in the promises of God. Now, uh, I fully understand and comprehend the uniqueness of Mary's circumstances here, okay? So I, I understand that it's not every day and uh, God is not going to bestow the same blessing on any one of us who is called to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand the uniqueness of this situation. I understand the uniqueness of what this song is birthed out of. And I understand uh, her unique role in redemptive history, in God's purpose and plan for salvation for uh, you and I. But it seems to me that there are things in this song that we, that we read of that teach us by example that are vital and of vital importance for the living of the Christian life no matter where and when you happen to be on this planet in your walk as a believer in Christ. I think we have much, much to learn here from Mary's song. So I want to draw our attention to a few of them here this morning as we walk through this passage. Uh, so we're going to look at six things. I'm going to tell you them up front like a good preacher. So if you're a note taker, this will be helpful. I don't always do this, but a little window. So first, I want us to notice the role of the Bible in Mary's praise. It is a scripture-filled song. It is a song filled with the scriptures. Second, I want you to take note of Mary's humility. Mary's humility is evident through this entire song. Third, I want you to notice Mary's gratitude. Now, you can't even move from syllable to syllable in the song without seeing her gratefulness or her gratitude. And I want you to think about this morning as we unpack this, actually how surprising that is. That this would be her response to this news. Now, you may be thinking, well, of course she's grateful. She's carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, how would you not be grateful about that? Well, I think we're going to be surprised at the circumstances surrounding this and what she had to endure with this news. And what she had to walk through knowing the reality that the Lord had placed on her and the responsibility the Lord had placed on her and yet she's still filled with gratitude. Filled with gratitude. Even in spite of the situation Mary finds herself in. Fourth, I want us to see how Mary does not see this as just something about her. She doesn't just point to her own self she, she is looking at how this is 
a part of all of God's people in all ages. She sees herself as a part of God's larger story. She sees all that's happening as a part of God's kingdom. It's kingdom focused. It's not just about her. It's not just about her. Fifth, I want us to see how the song points us to God's promises. Mary's song anchors us all the way back to the promises of Abraham, as we will see. She links this to the promises that God's people have been waiting for, that she has been waiting for. And then finally, the song points to the gospel itself. So this morning, we're going to see scripture, we're going to see humility, we're going to see gratitude, we're going to see God's people, we're going to see God's promises and God's gospel. That's where we're headed. So you can imagine this, can you, if, if you can, quick, you've been told by an angel, he came and visited you, that you were going to be the mother of the Messiah, how do you respond? It's like, this is a huge moment, you're like, are, what, do you say, what do you say to that? The angel has told you this life-shattering, life-altering f- f- news, how do you respond? What do you say to that? Well, Mary responds in a song. She responds and sings the words that were just read for us. Now, Mary, we know it's not, she doesn't respond immediately. We know she's had a few weeks because she's traveled a hundred miles from Nazareth all the way to uh, Judah. And Mary's now with her cousin Elizabeth and she's gone through this long journey. She's there with her cousin who's also expecting. But in that circumstance, what would you say? having spoken to Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth just sang the song of blessing over Mary, what would come out of your mouth? Mary had some time to think about this during her journey. She was ruminating on this news. She was thinking about what the angel had just revealed to her. But it's still remarkable what comes out of her mouth. And what comes out of her mouth and what first stuck out to me was that it's filled with Scripture. It's filled with the Old Testament. Now, just remember, take in consideration, take into context, Mary is 13 or 14 years old. A lot of times we just miss that fact or we don't think about that fact. Mary's the age of my daughter sitting right here, right? Maybe younger. Sorry, as you just... Pastor's kid thing. He's just get used to it. She's used to it. She's 13 or 14 years old. She's going to be the mother of the Messiah, the one whom Israel has been longing for since Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangel, the, the first semblance of the good news of the gospel, that out of the seed of woman, He will crush the serpent's head. And she is the recipient of this promise that they've all been waiting for. And out of her heart and out of her mouth comes scripture and a real humility considering the role that she has been entrusted by the Lord. And there is an evident humility in Mary's reaction. Then there's gratitude despite the danger that she is in but there's not a me-centeredness about this. There's, it's, it's very personal when you read this. There's a personal nature of this song, but it's not about her. There's not a me-centeredness. 
She recognizes this unique blessing that God has given to her, and it's very personal. And she even mentions the blessing that God has given to me a few times in this song. That, that, that comes up. The blessing that God has given to me. But set in the context of a bigger story of God's dealing over the course of generations and his people, it's a song that points to the covenant of grace. It's a song that points to the realities of the promises of God found in Scripture all the way back to Abraham. And throughout this song, it emphasizes over and over again God's work of the gospel, God's plan of the gospel, God carrying out the gospel, God's grace in giving to us the good news of the gospel. So, I want us to look at these six things together that I pointed out just a few moments ago, and I believe that in each of those six areas, we see areas in our own lives that God is calling us to grow in in the Christian life. These are important for us to consider, that we need growth in, that we need to consider, and we need to walk in. So we need to grow in our understanding of the scriptures and living out the scriptures. We need to grow in humility and in gratitude. We need to be centered on what God is doing amongst all of his people, not just me. We need to trust in the promises of God, and we need to live lives based on the gospel. Let's look at these things. First, the importance of scripture in Mary's life that we see. So the first thing that I was struck with when you read these words and you read them against the broader context of the scriptures of the Old Testament especially, is how Mary's song is filled with the scriptures. From verse 47 all the way down to 55, you will get allusions of Psalm 103, Psalm 22, Psalm 147, Psalm 98, 1 Samuel. You'll hear Hannah's song in this. You'll you'll hear also uh, maybe shadows of Job 12. This young woman, 12 or 13 years old, knows her Bible. She knows the word of God. She has treasured the word of God in her heart. And when this earth-shattering announcement comes to bear on her life, what comes out of her heart and what comes out of her mouth is the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? She frames her response of what's happening in her life, in her reality, in her context that has very real implications of how she's going to spend the rest of her life by framing it, by using the word of God to frame her reaction. Um, She has treasured God's word in her heart. J.C. Ryle says this, about this moment and about this song. He says, Mary gives expression with her lips to what has been treasured in her heart. And what has been treasured in her heart is God's word, the Holy Scripture. I love that. Church, real practical application here for us. Do you treasure God's word? Is it in you? Parents, this is maybe even a challenge. She's 13 years old. They were instructing this child uh, 
to know the word, to know the scriptures. She was in synagogue. She was in church. She was hearing it read. She was reading it herself at home. She was learning to treasure it. She was storing it. She was treasuring it up in her heart so that when life came upon her, that when life hit her, she responded back with the very words that she had treasured up in her heart, that she had heard, no doubt, over and over and over again in her, the time of her short life. She drew from it as a well of wisdom and strength on how to move forward in the life that she was now uh, charged with living because of this wonderful announcement that she was living in. She memorized it. And church, just quickly, application, this is a great guide for us for prayer and for songwriting. Creatives out there, any creatives out there? Okay, maybe not. Everyone's like, no, what? Jelana, yep, got it. See, go talk to Jelana if you want to write a song. Let's root them in the word of God. Um, because Mary knew her Bible. And not just a head crammed full of stuff, but her heart was taken so captive that when this moment happened, or in our lives, when even crisis happened, we can draw from it so that we can go on autopilot, so to speak, and that we can recount and recall his beautiful, wonderful, holy word that is trustworthy, that writes our heart and mind where it should be, rather than going off the rails when news comes our way that we're not expecting. If we don't have the truth of the word of God that has the guardrails in our life, we will believe and say all sorts of things that aren't true of who he is and react to our circumstances rather than live in the truth of who he is, what he's done, and how he's called and his word. So when you pray, church, I want to encourage you, use the word of God as a guide for prayer. Let it inform how you pray. Let his word inform how you weep how you request, how you react. This has been a great reminder for me as just in our, my, my family and I's personal life, we've walked through some tragedy, we've walked through some hardship and we're making sense of why all this is happening and uh, death seems to be at the doorstop of so many loved ones that we know and sickness and diagnosis that have happened that have come our way and left to our own, our minds wander and reel and they start believing things that aren't true. And so we've got to come back to the word and let it be a guide for us, knowing the truth of who God is, how he's called us, how he loves his people, where he's taking us, and we can believe in his promises. Is it informing you? You can't go wrong with God's word. There's a story, there's a famous uh, preacher uh, R.C. Sprawl, you may be familiar with him. He was a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson. He was a famous uh, author, theologian, and pastor. You may have listened to him. Uh, recently passed away a few years ago, but there's a story that goes like this that I remember one of my seminary professors uh, relaying to me about R.C. And when he was teaching his systematic theology class, R.C. would invite one of the seminary students to come up and lead the class in prayer before each uh, systematic theology class. And so the student would nervously get up in front of Dr. Sprawl and uh, pray before class. It would kind of be like if I just, just was picking at random, like, you, come up here and pray. And 
you're kind of not quite ready for it, and so you just start praying. And so the seminary student would pray, and then they would sit down, and then R.C. would systematically just dismantle the prayer and talk about all the theological heresies that he prayed or she prayed during the prayer and why this wasn't true. And you got to be careful when you say this to God because it's not true about who God is. And the whole thing, and these kids would just be like, Oh my goodness, like what? Like no one wanted to get up in front of RC's class and pray. And then one, uh, one student, a wise one, walks up there and Dr. Sproul calls him up and he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? Just praise the word of God. He's like, he cannot critique this. And got down and sat down and the whole class did what you just did and laughed. Because you can't go wrong praying the word of God. Back to him. It's his word. It's good, it's right, and it's true. And so church, um, there are so many distractions in our world. There are so many things to consider and put your mind to and store in your heart. There's so many things that are currently there that, gosh, I just, in my life, I just wish they weren't even there anymore because I spent so much time thinking about them or researching them online or doing whatever it is. Let's... Let's reframe our hearts and minds as people by storing his word and treasuring it in our heart. And so if the best way that you can do that is through sitting down and reading it every morning, do that. If the best way you can do that is by listening to it through the wonderful technological means that we have, listen to it. There's so many great resources that we can take in the word of God and learn to treasure it and let it be our response to all of life like Mary. Second thing we learn and we see is Mary's humility in this song. You see it in verse 48. You see it again in verses 51 and 52. She speaks of the Lord like this. The Lord looking on her in this humble estate estate of his servant. That's what she considers herself. And then she speaks of how he brought low the proud and how he exalted the humble. We see something of Mary's humility here. And we not only learn that the Christian life is healthiest and most informed by Scripture, but we see here in Mary's song that the Christian life is healthiest that is with a humble heart. We see her humility And I think in Mary's humility, it lets her see and understand all that God is doing around her. And she's not just responding to, look what you're doing to me. She says, Lord, I'm your humble servant. Lord, you you brought low the proud and you exalt the humble. She's given a unique responsibility in all of redemptive history. And her reaction is to be humbled by this announcement. Because she knows the greatness of her God the goodness of her God. She's clung to his promises in her word and it's made her heart soft for the movement of God in her life. And she knows the responsibility that she's about to walk into. She knows that she is a sinner outside of the grace of God and that she didn't deserve this wonderful blessing that is about to happen in and through her, but she's utterly humbled by it. And I wanna suggest that's something we need to grow in in our Christian walk. We need to grow in our humility. So many of us are puffed up. So many of us are 
this, that, and the other. We walk around thinking that we're the best at this, that, and the other. We need to receive the, we need to receive the humility as a fruit of the Spirit that, that, that the Spirit of God sends to us so that when God is moving, we can sense it with humility and not take credit for things. But we can point it back to God, just like Mary in the God-centeredness of this song. Have you cultivated gospel humility in your life? Because without humility, church, we can't forgive one another. Um, if you're proud and you've never th- you never think you've done anything wrong, there's no forgiveness to be offered from you. If you receive the Lord's humility, if you receive gospel humility as a fruit of the Spirit that's given to you, you can be a person who quickly forgives because you've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven of much, and now you can offer much forgiveness. And it starts with humility. A proud heart will never extend forgiveness and never extend grace. Because if you think you've earned it, you cannot give it to someone else because they'll never measure up to all that you've done. And bitterness will stem a root rather than humility. A lack of humility prevents us also from seeing our own sin and dealing with it and repenting of it. God has forgiven us of much and we didn't deserve it. So now we can live in gospel humility and offer forgiveness in that same way. We need to grow in our humility and let it pour out of our hearts and our mouths and our minds. Third, Mary's grateful. Did you notice that? Verse 46 through 49. This whole section, verse 46 and 49, oozes gratitude. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says. My spirit rejoices in God. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me. She is grateful. Now, maybe thinking here, it's like, well, of course she's grateful. She's carrying the Messiah. Why would she not be grateful? She's the only one in the world that will be called the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is she not grateful? But have you considered for a moment as we're walking through this gospel, as we're walking through this narrative, the danger that Mary is in when she says this? She is a young teenage girl in a culture where people who commit adultery are stoned to death. Let that settle in. Her life is possibly at stake. And she's betrothed. She's engaged to Joseph. She is not yet married, and she is expecting a child. So it should not escape us that as we read this, she is not in her hometown right now. That she has fled. That she has run a hundred miles away to go be with her cousin. Because her life is most likely in jeopardy. She's packed up and she moves. And we learn at the very end of the song that she's with Elizabeth for three months. And that makes sense. That I think when we put it in that context, we understand that. That she's got to get away because there is imminent, potential, real life threatening danger in the culture that she is in right now, and she's there for three months, it may indicate a few things. Had she stayed in Nazareth, she would have for sure faced ostracism and ridicule and insult. 
and jeering and shame in an honor-shame culture, full of shame, shame on her family, on her one whom she's betrothed to, and she was also most likely exposed to personal danger to herself. And yet, church, she's grateful. She's grateful. She's thankful. The Christian life, church, this observation here is healthiest when it's categorized and characterized by gratitude, no matter what's going on in our lives. And Mary models this. She shows us right here. Even in spite of all the things that may happen, even in spite of all the things that she's facing, her heart still pours out in gratitude toward God in this song of praise. Fourth, Mary in the song acknowledges um, this unique thing that's going on in her life, but yet she ties it in to the larger plan of God's people and his plan in history. So she doesn't just speak about it just personally. She ties in God's redemptive plan. So she sees herself not just as an individual in in the grand story of God's redemption of his people. She sees herself as part of the larger plan that God is working and unfolding in her midst. Did you notice this? If you look at verses 50 through 55, you zero in especially on 50, and then 54 and 55, she says this, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She ties herself into multiple generations. She's thinking about the blessing of this Messiah, not just in her life, but in the generations to come. She has a perspective of the kingdom of God on her life and what God has called her into. It's not just about Mary. It's about God's faithfulness from generation to generation. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel. He has spoken to our fathers, fathers, to Abraham. This goes all the way back to the beginning of God's dealing with his people. And Mary realizes it's not all about her. It is, of course, all about Jesus, but it's also about God's total plan with all of his people as she responds in this song of praise that stretches all the way back in history past in his dealings with our father Abraham and goes forward into generation after generation. Mary has a kingdom perspective on her life not a me-centered perspective on her life. The Christian life, as I was reflecting on this, is healthiest when it is anchored to our understanding that there is something bigger than just me. There's something bigger than just I. There's something more than just me. God, what are you doing with me? What does this feel like for me? I, 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 me, 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 me. No, Mary says from generation to generation forward and from generation to generation all the way back, we're a part of this redemptive story. She has a kingdom perspective of how God wants to use her and how God is using her. Mary is far from self-centered here. She's centered on 
God's grand plan. And I think um, this aspect of the Christian life is largely missing in a lot of modern day evangelicalism. A lot of, I mean, I don't know if anyone watches TV preachers anymore. It's not a thing anymore. A lot of the Instagram preachers or the YouTube preachers or whatever uh, we look at, there's so much of it out there that is all about and focused on attaining our own personal successes. How can you be more successful? How can you attain this? How can you be healthy, wealthy, rich, and wise? Well, if you follow these nine steps and you do this, then you'll get there one day. Just do X, Y, Z. With so much modern evangelicalism is just self-help, get-rich stuff clouded in religious jargon. We're part of something that's bigger than just me and about getting rich and about uh, having and attaining personal achievements in and of ourselves. We're a part of the kingdom of God and it stretches all the way back to the very beginning and it will go all the way from generation to generation to generation and we, yes, are a small, but we are a part of it. And it's not just about me. This is really hard for me to get through my thick head too. Um, But as I was considering Mary's song, she is God-centered and kingdom-focused in her song. Fifth, verse 54 and 55, again, notice how Mary takes you back to the covenant of grace with Abraham, to God fulfilling the promise that she made to Abraham. So she not only realizes she's a part of this grand story of redemption, but she anchors it to the promise of Abraham. He helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Well, what mercy? As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She takes us all the way back to God's promise to Abraham, which was assured in this covenant of grace in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. I don't have time to go back there and look at all of those. If you're a note taker, go back and read about this covenant promise in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And Mary anchors her song of praise all the way back to these covenant promises that God makes to his covenant people. And in doing so, Mary reminds us that the Christian life is healthiest when we trust in the promises of God. That we can anchor our hearts and our reality in the promises that God has made to us. And the promises that go all the way back are now ours in Christ Jesus and we can cling to them as our future reality and hope. And that gives us tremendous hope for the future. Our future is tremendously bright now because of the promises of God. Um, His promises are true, and Mary clings to that, and she reminds us of God's promises in her song. And we get to be recipients, and we get to observe the very promises of God here in our context today when we see men, women, and children come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and their hearts are made new, and they are saved and adopted into the family of God because of this one that has come, because of this one that Mary is singing about in her current reality. We get to bear witness, and we get to see these covenant promises made true in our our lifetime now. We can cling to them. 
We can rejoice in God because of them. He is true. His word is true. Do you believe his promises? That's how the Christian life is to be lived. That gives us confidence to face tomorrow. This promise is true. One last thing. Um, Did you notice that this song is all about the gospel? Uh, The song has nothing to do with what we do. The song has nothing to do with how we save ourselves. The song has nothing to do with what I must do to achieve salvation and forgiveness from the Lord above. The song is all about what God has done for the salvation of his people. We have a word for that one word, gospel, or two words translated good news. This song is all about the good news. It's all about what God has done for the salvation and redemption of his people. And so Mary is singing about the gospel. She's excited about the gospel. She's seeing the gospel promise be made true before her very eyes. And God is using her, a humble servant, to see this happen so that his grace may abound and go forward and save many, many, many sinners from death and destruction and instead give them light and life everlasting. Mary is singing about the gospel And it's pouring out of her. And she reminds us here that the Christian life is based on the good news of the gospel. Not what we must do to earn our salvation, but that which God has done through his promises be made true today through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for you because his blood has covered you. He has washed you and cleansed you white as snow. And now you and me, sinners saved by grace, can be invited in to the family of God. Through the gospel, through this one that she is seeing come into reality before her very eyes. The whole Christian life is based and is for and is aimed at the good news of the gospel. It is all about what God has done for us, not about what we must do for God. And this is Mary's song. And until we understand that we don't deserve this forgiveness and we don't deserve this gospel, uh, we will always have a chip on our shoulder. We didn't deserve this, but God looks to us, the undeserving, and gives us this child, this Messiah, this hope of the world. And that is the whole foundation of our Christian lives. And Mary explodes in song and gratitude, magnifying the Lord because of the outset of the good news of the gospel that you and I are now recipients of because of this one she's singing about in her womb. Isn't that amazing? And so church, as the band comes back up, we are going to get the chance to do in this room what Mary was doing, responding to the good news of the gospel that God will save through one that he will send to wash us white as snow, to forgive us of our sins, to forgive us of our trespasses, invite us into the very family of God that our lives are wrapped up in the goodness of God and in his promises and in the hope of the gospel. Let's pray together here this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you 
for Mary in this song and how it informs and instructs us today, even in our Christian lives. Lord, may we be a people marked with humility. May we be a people marked by knowing and treasuring your word in our hearts. May we be a people who our hearts and lives are rooted in your promises. Because we're a part of your people, now we're recipients of grace. So we can have hearts overflowing with gratitude because of the good news of the gospel. And God, I pray that in these few moments that we have left together, would you help us respond? Like Mary, humble confidence knowing that you are true. Rejoicing praise in the goodness of our God because of the sending of Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who now is ruling and reigning and is our advocate and is our savior and has forgiven us of much and yet still invites and adopts us in and calls us beloved. May we rejoice in that good news this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Church, we stand and praise him.